Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, March 21st, 2016. So let me ask you this question at you know, right at the very outset of the program. Has the church lost the plot line of Scripture? Think about that for a second. I'll develop it in a second. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to apply sound biblical hermeneutics, good exegesis, to what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-proclaimed apostles, and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God to check to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says, or yeah, to see if, well, they're actually twisting God's Word and generally teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. Now, on Friday, we played the really good lecture by uh, Phil Johnson from this year's Shepherd Conference, you know, talking about kind of the problems in uh, so much of the approaches to preaching uh, that have become popular uh, via, you know, preaching coaches, the seeker-driven movement, and things like that. But today I'm going to ask kind of a bigger question, and that is, has the church, you know, kind of the visible church, much of Christianity lost the plot line of Scripture? And, you know, the reason I'm asking is because, I mean, what if I told you the Star Wars movies? Yeah, you, you're familiar with the Star Wars movies? We'll start with Episode Four, New Hope. The episode four, The New Hope, is about a girl named Dorothy, and uh, Dorothy was whisked away in a tornado, and then sharks, you know, came into the tornado and were trying to eat her, but then the zombie apocalypse happened, and the sharks got eaten up by some strange turn of events, but never to fear, um, you know, uh, it was once Dorothy was able to actually get to Neverland that she was able to learn the ways of the Force from uh, Boba Fett. I mean, it's oh, it's just an amazing story. I mean, oh, yeah, I if you've never seen it, I think you should go out and <laughs> you're thinking, Roseboro, it's Monday. It's too early for this kind of nonsense. What 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 are you talking about? Well, see, that's kind of the thing, is that the uh, the plot line of scripture is not what so many people think that it is. 
And so today's episode, if you would, is kind of dedicated to those who are utterly clueless about the actual plot line of Scripture. Now, if you're wondering, well, what is the plot line? Well, let me, let me explain. The plot line goes something like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, spoken into existence in six days. And this also includes uh, the forming from, you know, literally God, you know, the, the, the supreme creation of this uh, time-space continuum is uh, the crowning achievement is uh, the, the creation of mankind. And God didn't speak mankind into existence like everything else. No, man was formed from the dust of the earth and God breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living spirit. And uh, then we can talk about the creation of Eve from a rib of Adam. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, you know, by the time we get to chapter three, although God declared everything to be good, very good, uh, tov me'od, um, well, something went bad. And I mean that really, um, really, really bad. And um, the, the uh, serpent, well, tempted Adam and Eve. And uh, they did the one thing that they were not supposed to do and have plunged us into a curse where we are now. Every descendant of Adam and Eve is born dead in trespasses and sins and in slavery and bondage to sin, death, and the devil. And uh, and worst of all, um, we die once now, and the second death is the lake of fire, which um, is what all of us deserve. But God, in his great love and mercy, has stepped into... Uh, human history, was born of the Virgin Mary, and he lived a perfectly sinless life, and he died in our place as our substitute on the cross for you know, so that our sins could be atoned for and we can be forgiven and pardoned and then clothed with the righteousness of uh, Christ. And what our hope is now, and, and this is our hope, is you know, those who are penitent believers in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, who've heard the preaching of the gospel, were baptized, buried with Christ, raised with Christ. Our hope is for the second advent when Christ returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. And God's going to make all things new, new heavens, new earth, a world without end. And uh, those who persist in sin and unbelief, foolishly, they will find their, their, uh, their lot in the lake of fire for eternity with the devil and all of his angels. While those who have been brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins uh, they will live eternally, forever, a new heavens, a new earth, and um, world without end. And that's you know kind of the overarching plot line of, of Scripture, if you would. Now, that just, for so many people, seems like, duh, basic. But for so many people who call themselves Christians, that's not what they think the plot line of Scripture is. And so we're going to be listening to, well... You know, let me put it this way. We're going to be listening to several examples of people who've completely lost the plot line of Scripture. And one of them is going to kind of explicitly lay out what he thinks the plot line of Scripture is. Um, but, uh, you know, I will, I will kind of save that. So just so you know what we're going to do today, we're going to begin. That's right. We're going to begin with a, um, a Joel Osteen update. Mm -hmm. We're going to begin with Joel Osteen. And uh, the name of the message we're going to be listening to from Joel Osteen is titled... Um, be a barrier breaker. Be a barrier breaker. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm pretty convinced uh, in listening to Joel Osteen, he has no clue what the overarching plot line of Scripture is, and for real, what the story really is all about. Um, we'll, uh, you know, then we'll switch gears. We'll do a money grubbing televangelist update. Actually, kind of a twin spin. We'll start with T.D. Jakes, 
and a sermon that he re- recently delivered over there at Lakewood. And the name of it is Activate. The name of the sermon is Activate. Um, somewhere in there, we'll take a break. And uh, and then the last part of hour number one, we're going to listen to Jensen Franklin. And Jensen Franklin is going to lay out, and I, and I mean this, um, what he considers to be the kind of overarching plot line of Scripture. And when you hear Jensen say this, the things that you're going to hear, it's going to, I think, create an aha moment. At least this is my hope. Uh, regarding what Joel Osteen is, was preaching, what T.D. Jakes is preaching. And then in hour number two, we're going to hit down to One Church L.A., and we're going to listen to uh, two Ray Roberts for about as long as I can stand him. I, I can't promise I'll get through this whole sermon today. And the name of the uh, message we'll be listening to is, t- is titled, The Supercharged Life. Every example of today's episode, you know, from you know everything that we're playing on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, they all, every minister there, has completely lost the plot line of Scripture, and I'm convinced is utterly clueless as to what the Bible actually teaches. But with that, we're going to need to get into our program proper, and since we're going to start with the Joel Osteen update, that requires us to do this. When I'm feeling lonely, sad as I can be, all by myself in uncharted island in an endless sea, what makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth that twinkle just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle and beauty to my face. My shiny teeth that glisten just like the Christmas tree. You know the walk of miles just to see me smile. Woo! Shiny Teeth and Me. That's right. Shiny Teeth and Me. And that's our Joel Osteen update. Now, the message that we're going to listen to a portion of is titled, Be a Barrier Breaker. Be a Barrier Breaker. And uh, here is Joel Osteen to explain. Here we go. Well, God bless you. It's a joy to come into your homes. And if you're ever in our area... Please stop by and be a part of one of our services. I promise you, we'll make you feel right at home. I like to start with something funny. And I heard about this kindergarten teacher. She was teaching her students about self-esteem. And she said to the class, anyone that felt dumb, she asked them to stand up. She didn't think anybody would stand. She'd make the point how no one is dumb. But about that time, little Johnny stood up. She thought, oh, no, now what am I going to do? She said, now, Johnny, do you really feel like you're dumb? He said, no, ma'am. I just hate to see you standing there all by yourself. (laughs) Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the word of God. No, really, you won't. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I am about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. If you'd like to open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 29, you're welcome to. I'm going to quote a verse toward the end of the message, 2 Chronicles 29. Quote a verse towards the end of the message. (laughs) 
So what does <laughs> what does that tell you about uh, whether or not this is going to be a quote unquote biblical teaching that we're going to hear today? Hmm. Or we'll put some scriptures on the screen as well. Don't forget at two o'clock this afternoon, a great Spanish speaking service. Love to have you back if you speak Spanish. Seven o'clock tonight, a young adult service, Pastor Nick and Summer. A couple thousand young people will be here. Love to have you. Wednesday night, a struggling minister, Pastor John Gray, will be ministering. And you haven't heard John, he's one of a kind. Blessed to have him in Aventure with us. And then, of course, Friday night, seven o'clock, our good communion service. One last favor, I always ask, if you don't mind, please stay to the very end just so we can keep the house of the Lord in order without me walking around. Thank you for doing that in advance. Yeah, we don't want on camera anyone walking out of the service. It might look like they're leaving in protest. I want to talk to you today about being a barrier breaker. Okay, just off the bat, uh, without even hearing the rest of the sermon, um, is there any hope that this will be a biblical teaching? I mean, can you point me to the great passages of Scripture that talk about that important doctrine of being a barrier breaker? Now, remember, our kind of overarching question for today is, has much of the visible church completely lost the plot line of Scripture. Uh, Being a barrier breaker, not sure what that is or where you're going to find it, but I'm pretty sure you ain't going to find it in Scripture. So often we let our environment, how we were raised, people's expectations of us set the limits for our life. We adapt. Uh, so, um, So is the story of Scripture all about how to basically remove the limits that people have put on you in life. Well, if the limits you're talking about are the demonic limits put on us by, well, the devil, um, you can talk about it in that way, but that's not what Joel Osteen's talking about. To what's around us. If you take an oak tree seed and plant it in a two-foot pot, that oak tree will never become what it was created to be. Not because there's something wrong with the seed, but because of the environment that it's in. It's easy to just fit in, go with the crowd, be like everyone else. But God didn't create you to be average. He created you to stand out. Okay, now where in the scripture does it say that? Answer, it doesn't. So, you know, is the plot line of the Bible, you know, all of the tips, techniques, and rules and laws of the faith that you need to apply to your life so that you can finally be great the way God intended you to be great? Think about it. To go beyond the norm, to leave your mark on this generation. You have seeds of greatness on the inside. You're supposed to... Again, which biblical text says I have seeds of greatness on the inside? Scripture says that we're all born dead in trespasses and sins and under the dominion of the devil. Um, yeah, see Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verses 1 through 3, if you're a little confused about this. Nowhere in Scripture does it talk about these seeds of greatness that are on the inside of you. In fact, Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. The Apostle Paul in Romans 4 says that Christ died for the ungodly. Hmm, that's weird. Go further than the people that raised you. You're supposed to live better. Be more successful, set a new standard. Uh, I, I'm supposed to be more successful and set a new standard. Well, what am I going to do here, you know? 
my dad was an emergency room physician. My mom was a nursing professor and I'm just a, <laughs> a guy. I see now here's the thing, you know, people used to accuse me of living in my mother's basement. We've upgraded just so you know, I'm <laughs> now running pirate Christian radio out of an attic space in a, <laughs> an attic space in a home. That's almost a hundred years old. We have, boy, we, <laughs> We totally upgraded here, but see, the thing is, I mean, by the world standard, what I'm doing and what my parents did, yeah, I did not exceed them by the world standards. So apparently I'm really letting God down, not achieving, you know, the potential that that God made me for, uh, you know, things like that. Am I going to burn in hell for this? I mean, hmm. You may be in an environment where people have addictions, low self-esteem. Depression, poverty, low self-esteem, addictions, you know, so we got drug users and alcoholics and with low self-esteem. Oh, no. What? <laughs> uh. You can't stop that. But here's the key. Don't let that become normal in your thinking. Oh, yeah. See, Jesus says that in um, Third Opinions, chapter Joel. Verse 97. Uh If you accept that as who you are, it will keep you from your destiny. The scripture talks about how we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Yeah, and it's not referring to that that you're describing here. Uh, We continue. You may be in a limited environment, but you don't have to be of it. Don't let that environment get... (laughs) You could be in a limited environment, but just don't be of it. Right, right, yeah, yeah in you. If you see struggle, lack, poverty long enough, your mind can become conditioned to think, this is who I am. I'll always struggle. I'll never have enough. No, that's where you are. That's not who you are. And that may be what's been normal. Yeah, we won't get to that Bible verse apparently until the very end of the sermon, you know. Which means, what is it? What is all the stuff that he's talking about that precedes apparently the biblical teaching portion of his sermon? What, where, what is this? Is this the plot line of scripture? That uh, you know, if you find yourself in a negative environment with you know people who who well suffer from low self esteem or addiction, that that's where you are, but not who you are. What is this? The good news: you're a barrier breaker. You have the- oh, the good news. By the way, the uh, the word gospel, euangelion, means good news. So is the good news of the Bible that you are a barrier breaker. Is that the good news? I come to bring you good news of great joy, for unto you is born one who will teach you how to become a barrier breaker, the angel announced on the very first Christmas. Nope. That ain't it. The Apostle Paul, in telling us what the good news is, the gospel that he preached in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the opening verses 1 through 6, says that the good news is that Christ died for our sins and rose again on the third day. Died for our sins. Hmm. That means we need a Savior. We needed the the Son of God to die for our sins. Got a problem here. Power, the favor, the talent, the ability to break out, to go further. God breathed his life into you. Uh, He he did? (laughs) 
Uh, well, yeah, he did that in Adam and Eve, but not in the way you're talking about. He calls you the head and not the tail. Oh, boy. Don't let your mind become conditioned for mediocrity. Yeah, so the the plot line of the Bible is God teaching you how to overcome mediocrity by understanding that you have seeds of greatness in you. Is that really the plot line of Scripture? I seriously doubt it. In fact, I'm 100% convinced based upon just a basic reading of the Bible, cursory overview. That ain't the plot line of Scripture. So in other words, Joel Osteen, the reason why Joel Osteen preaches what he preaches is because he is completely clueless, in the dark. You can say spiritually blinded by the world, the devil, whomever, his own sinful flesh, to what the real plot line of Scripture is. And because he doesn't know what the plot line is, he's like made up his own or is passing along one that he's learned from somebody else who wasn't rightly teaching the plot line of Scripture. But how important do you think it is in conveying sound biblical doctrine that you understand the correct plot line of Scripture? I would argue, well, it's imperative that you do. Moving along. Yeah, time for a money-grubbing televangelist update. Don't want no loving. Don't want no kissing. Don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. Just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce, hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats, let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. All the narrow wanna be a millionaire. Give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition, that's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits, I'm a demon in addition. Give me shekels, give me pesos, let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Wanna get me a suit that's made out of oof. And whistle for wearing the green. I got that monetary itis like speeches like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. Any sum I can inveigle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Dr. Teeth and Money, Money, Money. That's some. Of, that's one of the songs we play here for our money-grubbing televangelist update. And we're going to listen to a portion of a message preached by none other than T.D. Jakes. Um, that's right, the uh, Trinity not believing T.D. Jakes. Yeah, his Potter's house. He's. Uh, you wonder, where did uh, T.D. Jakes become a bishop? Well, the answer to that question is through the Oneness Pentecostal churches. Uh, they are they are churches that deny the doctrine of the Trinity, and uh, T.D. Jakes still continues to teach that uh, the one true God manifests himself in three persons, which is altogether fascinating and awful if you think about it. But uh, here's T.D. Jakes to explain to us um, how to activate and this important activate doctrine, if you've never heard it. Here we go. I want to go quickly to the book of Exodus. I'm excited to share with you. I've been working out of this verse all weekend. Mm. Now, keep in mind, he is at Lakewood. This is Joel Osteen's church. And I'm going to work out of it some more. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Exodus 4, 1 through 6. This is the commissioning of Moses. Now, keep in mind, um, this is a very important portion of Scripture. Exodus 3 and 4, the commissioning of Moses you know, where God is going to send him so that uh, he can, so God will use him 
as kind of the visible guy on earth while God is freeing the children of Israel from slavery. Let's see what he thinks this story is about. When you have it, labor to your feet. So you ought to come from a traditional church. In the church, they didn't tell you to stand up. They say, labor to your feet. And then when you sit down, on your way down, like you're going to California. So on your way down, amen, to your seat. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Uh, when you have it, say amen. If you're looking for it and you're seeing stuff like Ephesians, you're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> Do a U-turn and go all the way back. You're a long ways off. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Let me take just a moment and thank you for your hospitality and your kindness and, and how wonderful it is uh, to be here. I very seldom leave home on a Sunday morning. I'm addicted to being at the Potter's house, but you all make me feel so at home and so loved. I'm just grateful to God for your hospitality. Thank you so much. You keep loving me like this. I'm going to get me a trailer in Houston and move on down here. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Give me a double Y. <laughs> and Moses answered and said. But Notice the text begins with and Moses answered and said, which means we're coming into the story like partway through. Like we're way out of context. Yeah, if somebody's going to start a historical narrative and this is a one-off sermon, they're going to start the story from a historical narrative like parachuting into like a like a snippet like coming in like rather than teaching a whole chapter like in the normal story but they come in like towards the end of the chapter you know you you really have no idea what's going on that's almost 100% sign you're going to have God's word twisted and you ain't going to hear the truth behold they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice for they will say the Lord have not appeared unto thee and the Lord said unto him what is that in thine hand uh, notice uh, T.D. Jakes is quite the thespian right and he said a rod and he said cast it on the ground and he cast it on the ground <laughs> it became a serpent yeah quite a gifted thespian Wow, he did that thing, snake thing, like creepily, easily. Wow. And Moses fled before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tails. And he put forth his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, put now thy hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous. As now. And he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to thy voice or the, or the first sign that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice that thou shalt take of the waters of the river and put it on dry land. And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry ground. 
And Moses said unto the Lord, My Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, because I am slow speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Oh, isn't that good all by itself? God knows exactly what he's doing. I want to use... All right, we're going to pause right there. We're up on our first break, so we've uh, we've got to do that before we can hear the rest of it. So there is his very theatrical uh, reading of Exodus 4, uh, 1 through 6. He's quite the thespian, has them already there at Lakewood eating out of his hand, but unfortunately the turn is coming, and uh, we're going to find out what he thinks this story is about there in... Um, Exodus chapter 4, and how much do you want to bet it's not uh, about, well, the true overarching story of Scripture? All right, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. A little bit more T.D. Jakes and then a Jensen Franklin update where he's going to lay out what he thinks the overarching storyline of of Scripture is. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> no, oh, no, oh, a pirate's life for me. We pillage, we plunder, we rifle, we loot, drink up, be hearty, yo-ho. We kidnap and ravage and don't give a hoot, bring up, be hearty, yo-ho. presents Church Day Select. Listen up. I've got some good news and I've got some bad news straight from the top. I, I, I'm sorry, I mean bottom. What's the news from the boss? The good news, gentlemen, is that our soul quotas are up by about 50% this year alone. The bad news is that we have to try harder. We're getting awfully close to Armageddon and it's everyone's responsibility to do their worst. As we all know, the major culprit responsible for our blistering success is the continued decline of biblical intelligence amongst American evangelicals. They're just begging to be led astray by false doctrines. 
We barely have to try anymore. It's actually kind of depressing. Do you all remember how successful General Abraxas was with his son standstill scheme? Yes! We would never have gotten away with a teaching like that 20 years ago. Yet, thanks to how mind-numbingly illiterate people have become with their Bibles, it worked like a miracle. Miracles? Heresy! My fellow miscreants, I apologize. Uh, Slip on the forked tongue. (laughs) Now, where was I? Ah, yes. So now our orders are to come up with the dumbest, the lamest, and most ludicrous teachings to throw at these dullards and see what sticks. Anyone got any suggestions? We, uh, we could sell indulgences so that people could, uh, get time off of purgatory. That's too 13th century, Agrit. If you had spent even the slightest amount of effort in your demonic studies instead of trying to reinvent the selfie, you might have known that little historical factoid. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else? Uh, how about praying the dead saints? Done it. Women could be pastors? No, 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 no. Pastrix is already in the dictionary. We can chalk that up as a victory. Maybe we should tell everyone that they're still under the Mosaic law. And that they must obey kosher laws. And that they must not celebrate Christmas and be Torah observant. Too Jewish. Come on, you worthless maggots. We've already done all these before. We need to be more creative. And by that, I mean less creative. How about swingers for Jesus? We've already done that one, you idiot! What about portals? Who who said that? Uh, I I did? Well, speak up, worm! What about heavenly portals above Jerusalem? This sounds eerily like the tithing gnome, and he wasn't that popular. No, 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 you wretchedness. These are portals only above Jerusalem, and heavenly blessings fall out of them on the passersby. And, and you'll need a map to find them. And where exactly will they procure this map? It'll come free with every purchase of a Microsoft Zoom. Silence, you imbeciles! They stopped making those years ago. Even the pet rock had better features, and that's bad. Even by our standards. That just sounds terrible. Who's next? Uh, There's a sound membrane. A sound membrane in the sky. Uh, It is bulging. And and it's starting to leak. You had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. Uh, That's it, Richardness. That's all I got. Sorry. Well, that's by far the worst idea I've heard yet. And I'm satisfied. I'll just run these notes down the chain of command. Meeting is adjourned. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look 
at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that there's a bunch of people who don't actually understand what the main plot line of Scripture is. And it's true, they don't. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount that you choose. You pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. Gunner's Mate, $24.95 a month. Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Zip code 58208, and let me thank you for your support, because we truly, honestly cannot do what we are doing here Without it. And uh, just a reminder, if you haven't already um, registered for this year's 2016 Pirate Christian Radio Conference, well, we still have some spots. There's only 150 spots total open for this year's PCR conference, which will be held in August. Details at our website. When you get to piratechristian.com, click on the banner up above. It says 2016 PCR Conference. And you'll see the prices, information on hotels, where to fly into. By the way, if you want to save money on your airfare, um, flying into Grand Forks is um, not cheap. Flying into Fargo, much better. And renting a car and drive up, it's only an hour drive from Fargo, North Dakota. And a new thing that we're offering for uh, purchase in our uh, Pirate Christian uh, Bake Sale store. Uh, We now have PirateChristian.com bumper stickers. Yes, we do. Uh, visit our website and get your piratechristian.com bumper sticker. Of course, we still uh, sell our Four uh, four Blood Moons Fiery Shemitah Sauce as well as our um, 
t-shirt uh, the i survived the four blood moons and and the shemitah and all i got was this lousy t-shirt t-shirt so yeah, purchase stuff there in our bake sale to help support us and keep us afloat so that we can continue to bring fighting for the faith and pirate christian radio to you now let's get back to our um teaching from um, td jakes as he is at uh, lakewood and um, he's just read out out of context um a portion of the story of the commissioning of moses from Exodus 4, verses 1 through 6, quite three, theatrically, by the way. Again, he's quite the thespian. And uh, now he's going to apparently explain to us what this text really is about, what it is that God is revealing here for us. Here we go. A one-word subject. It is what I believe that God wants to do in your life. It is the reason that I'm here it is the reason that you have been through tests and trials. It is the reason that many of you have been hidden for such a time as this. Um, what? Many of us have been hidden for such a time as this? Who knew? Wow. I mean, history's been waiting for some of us to show up. I, wow. Boy, some of us are really important. Probably not me, but um, you, some of us. I mean, listen to this. I mean, clearly histories yeah i've been waiting for us to show god i mean is now ready to finally reveal you to the world i believe that this is your destiny year oh, yeah it's my destiny year yeah I'm, I'm really into density yeah this is a moment in your life that god is about to activate <laughs> <laughs> demonic cackle there wow okay so who knew the story of the commissioning of moses really isn't about God freeing the children of Israel from slavery. No, no, no. Yeah, the whole reason why God had uh, Moses pen that portion of Scripture is so that when you finally heard T.D. Jakes teach on this, you realized that it was now time for you and your destiny to come to a head and, and for you to experience your destiny moment. Wow. What has been hidden here to war, he is about to act. Somebody say activate. Somebody say activate. Oh, yeah, they're just eating this stuff up. Oh, is it me? Is it me? Am I fine? I, I might as well be the Messiah, you know? God is about to activate those things that have been hidden in your life. One more time, shout it. Activate. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh while I preach the word without... Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, the Holy Spirit will have nothing whatsoever to do with your twisting of the scripture. The, the Bible's about Jesus. Yeah, see, that's kind of the thing. Even in the Old Testament, is you know, it, Christ is there in types and shadows, prefiguring the one who finally would arrive and, um, well, activate our salvation by dying on the cross for our sins weird to talk about it like that but see here's the thing is that um yeah it, it like i said it is all about jesus jesus said to the jews you diligently search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life if they are the very scriptures that testify about me and you refuse to come to me that you might have life then there's td jakes basically saying no 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 the scriptures testify about you and your destiny Oh, no, they don't. I don't think T.D. Jakes even begins to understand the overarching plot line of Scripture, which means that all of those movies he's putting out there, those so-called Christian movies, 
because he doesn't understand what the overarching plot line of Scripture is, all of those movies ain't Christian, and they ain't actually pointing anybody to anything that's re- even remotely true about the Scriptures. You, I can do nothing. I am impotent without you. Incompetent. I have no ability. I am slow of speech and of wit and mind and nothing without you speaking. Yeah, so Moses is a metaphor for you. This place, great God, that you are. Until everything that is hidden is revealed and everything that is bound is loosed and everybody that is captive is set free. Until we sing your praises with fresh lips because we know what you have done in our lives. Have your way, great God that you are. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody who loves him, shout amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, but the stage there at uh, Lakewood is far from the burning bush. You don't have to get up no more till you get ready to leave. Yeah, why would God's special manifest presence and anointing fall in a place where his word is being mangled and Christ is not being exalted? But you are. The year was 1965. I was a little boy sitting in the back of the car and my mother was driving. She had- so he immediately launches into a story about him. Well, to be expected for sure. Just come from speaking at her sorority. She was a Delta. She was a public speaker, very eloquent of speech and very intelligent and quite articulate. And we were riding back home when I said to her, right now, they come to hear you speak. And they call me Miss Jake's son. But before it's over, they will call me to speak and they will call you Tom Jake's mother. <laughs> is, is, does anyone else think that's like one of the most conceited things you've ever heard, ever preached in something that's supposed to be a Christian sermon? And right after this prophetic utterance, I went right back to being a little devil again. Like I, that was my job and my calling. But for that one moment, I caught a glimpse. I caught a glimpse of my destiny. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I don't think you quite grasp the, uh, the, well, just how your destiny fits into history. You're like one of the key pillars of the great apostasy. Uh, and you're leading people away from Christ rather than to him. Weird. I am convinced that, that life is not about hours or days or weeks or months or years. You might be 80 years old, but you don't remember 80 years, weeks, months. All life is is a collection of moments, 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 memories, moments. We don't. We don't really absorb time. We absorb moments. And in the course of those moments, we have what we call glimpses. Destiny glimpses. Where you can just see yourself someplace that you've never been. You can just sense that something is about to happen in your life or that destiny is calling you somewhere. And you catch glimpses. Church folks call it vision. Without a vision, the people perish. Out of context, um, yeah, without a vision, the people perish. But then, you know, 
it talks about the one who, well, reads the written word of God, the commandments, the Torah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have a vision, you catch a glimpse. You might be sick and you catch a glimpse of being healed. You catch a glimpse of being prosperous even though you're impoverished at the moment. You, you catch a glimpse of being loved even though you're lonely at the moment. You catch glimpses. These, these are lifelines that God sends us to give us the fortitude and the latitude and the tenacity to survive where we are. Just glimpses. Little lines of hope, little rays of light that promise us that where we are is not where we're going. That someday God is going to do something amazing in your life. He, he, he feeds you with glimpses. Really, where in the Bible does it talk about God feeds you with glimpses so that you can, you know, see where, you know, where he's taking you regarding the greatness of your life or in your life or whatever? I don't recall that text, and definitely Exodus 4 ain't teaching it. Now we see through a glass darkness, just quick glimpses, so that you can hold on, so that you can endure the temporary circumstances that are prevailing in your life to let you know that where you are is not the end of the story, that sooner or later God is going to move you into your destiny and into your purpose, and it gives you the tenacity to withstand the trials and the adversities of life. We survive off of glimpses. Uh, yes, yeah, those glimpses are going to help you, and you know, to hang in there and, and until your destiny actually arrives. Says no biblical text anywhere. Moments and seconds where we see things that are not there. Your son is unsaved. Your daughter is unsaved. Maybe they're in prison or maybe they're alcoholic. Or, but you catch glimpses of them with their hands raised and praising God. And they are crazy glimpses. They don't even fit your circumstance. But they remind you that God has not forgotten you. That he has a plan. That he has a purpose for your life. Has anybody ever caught a glimpse of themselves doing something utterly amazing? Somewhere different from where you are just a glimpse no no details you know god is not big on so you're daydreaming and you you imagine yourself to be the emperor of the world oh yeah glimpses of my density have now oh this is prophetic density glimpses right says no biblical text yeah again this isn't what the bible is about you're not the subject of scripture you are the object of god's love you were the one for whom Christ bled and died. But he is the one whose name is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and tongue confess that he, Christ, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not you. Wow, this is... Mm, I think you kind of get the idea. There's like no way to land this plane. It's going to go straight into the ground and then straight into the pit of, of you know the fires of hell. And uh, so we'll switch gears again. You kind of get the idea, you know, has Christianity lost the main plot line of Scripture? I'm beginning to think, yeah, utterly lost the main plot line of Scripture. Moving along. I've got... Time for another money-grubbing televangelist update. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira. Now the Deutsche Mark's getting dearer. And my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. Nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. 
quite as wonderful as money, 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 money. There's nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must angle for the bookshness of a banker. It's accountancy that wakes the world around, round, round. You can keep your Marxist ways, but it's only just a place. For it's money, money, money makes the world go. Money, 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 money. All right, the name of the message we're going to listen to a portion of by Jensen Franklin is titled, Your Gift Will Make Room for You. <laughs> yeah, he'll be reading one of the Proverbs and, uh, and well, then along the way, explain what he thinks the kind of like the main plot line of Scripture is. And oh, what he says is so revealing. So revealing as far as his utter cluelessness as to what the main plot line of Scripture really is about. And so I, I can't even begin to describe it. So here's Jensen Franklin to do so for himself. Here we go. If you have your Bible, I have a word today that I think is going to encourage you. I want you to go to the book of Proverbs chapter 18. One of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. I heard this scripture and read it many, many, many years ago. And it's always stood out to me. And I've thought and pondered and confessed it many, 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 many times. So many times I can't count over my life, over my children, over my family, and over this church. And it is a powerful verse. And you ought to underline it and underscore it in your Bible. It's one of those verses that you can pray back and say back to God. And I believe it in the Acts and, inv and, and invokes that word. Proverbs 18, verse 16. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Now, real quick, Proverbs 18, verse 16 does say, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. That is absolutely, for sure, what that passage says. He has, you know, and because this is, in a portion of the Proverbs where kind of like single sentences are conveying whole thoughts, I mean, you, we can't exactly accuse him of taking this out of context. But the question is going to hinge on what is meant by the word gift. Yeah, now let me explain to you. The Hebrew word here is matan, all right? And here the, uh, the, the Hebrew word literally is referring to, like you would say, a Christmas gift, although this is a Jewish word, it's a Hebrew word. Um, you can say a present, um, things like that. This is not referring to a spiritual gift. It's not referring to some kind of a gift that you might have for gab or gift at woodworking. Um, instead, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. Right. This is you know, talking about, you know, how do I get an audience with the king? I know I'm going to make him a fantastic gift in order to give it to him. And then the king will bring me in and, and uh, I'll have an audience with the king because of the great gift that I am bringing. That's what that's referring to. So, um, yeah, that's the Hebrew word matan. All right. So let's see where, uh, you know, Jensen Franklin is going to take this proverb, which he has misunderstood. Trust me, he has. And then him explain to us the overarching kind of grand scheme of Scripture. Here we go. And so I'm going to stop reading there, and I want to talk about this, this, this ability that your gift has to make room for you. It will make room for you. 
yet notice he's not paid any attention to what gift means there in that text. I, I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we don't understand God's dream for his people. Uh huh. Okay, so apparently I don't understand God's dream for his people. I guess that would include me. When you read the systems of God and the thinking of God, the strategy of God, you see it first in Abraham. Abraham is the first systems in the strategy of God you first see in Abraham. Hmm. Major person that God says, I'm going to use my strategy and I'm going to use my my system to produce a mighty man that will produce a mighty nation. And the Bible says that... So the purpose of God and, you know, the systems of God is to produce a mighty man. Huh. So that's, you know, notice, that's, gonna, that's kind of his thesis sentence here is he's going to explain to us what the Bible's about. Abraham got in covenant with God, and when he did, he became a wise man, he became a wealthy man, he became an influential, powerful man. Forget the fact the covenant was a unilateral covenant God made with Abraham. Abraham was asleep. It's it, you know, he makes it sound like Abraham did something to get in covenant with God, and then God made him, you know, wise and healthy and wealthy. Yeah, no, that's not how that goes down. Gifted man, and he started a nation, a whole nation. God's thinking, God's system made him wise. Made him wealthy. God's system made him wise. God's system made him wealthy. This is what he believes the Bible is about, learning God's systems so that you, like Abraham, can become wise and wealthy. Him influential, made him powerful, and in the earth, even though there was no people, the gift that Abraham had, which was the gift of faith, he's called the, the father of faith, made room for not only him, but for his family, which ultimately would be... Yeah. So the gift, he made room, uh-huh, yeah, notice he wove this in there, not paying attention to even at all what is being spoken of there in that proverb. His people and his nation. But God was a big thinker in the system that he put Abraham in. It would produce a, na a nation and a national leader. It's pretty powerful. Then he has a son named Isaac, and he inherits wealth, and on top of that, created his own wealth and became very wealthy. The Bible is very specific. It doesn't shy away from it. He was rich. Isaac was rich in cattle, in sheep, in silver, in gold, because God had them in a mentality that, that I'm a big God, and I want to bless my people and my purpose and my kingdom and my nation in magnificent ways. And I, I want you to thrive in the kingdom system that I have put you in. All of these words that he is, is, ascribes to God, none of them are found in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And then Jacob, the third, the, the great, great grandson of Abraham comes along and he goes through a rough season, but he gets back on track and God prospers him exactly the same way. And he has, he has 12 sons and one of those sons is Joseph. Now listen to me. This is the very first time God is revealing his, his system of advancement for his people. Yeah, so it's, the Bible's all about God having revealed his system of advancement for his people, which means 
It's all about you learning what God's system for advancement is so that you can be wise. You can be wealthy. Is that what the Bible's really about? Sounds to me like Jensen Franklin's completely lost the plot line altogether. He has no clue what Scripture's about. You got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, powerful, earth-shaking, changing, national-leading people. And out of Jacob comes the 12 children of Israel, or the 12 tribes of Israel, all of them his sons. A nation is being formed. One of those sons is Joseph. And Joseph carries the same wisdom, the same ability of thinking and strategy and, and, and understanding when he's thrown into the system of Egypt. And when it's all said and done, God raises him up. Listen, and one man whose great-great-grandfather was in covenant with God had been raised in a system that taught him to be wise and make brilliant decisions and surrender everything to God and put your best on the altar, including Isaac, teaching all of these things for generations until such a leader in the fourth generation is produced in that family that all of the wealth of the entire nation of Egypt was given to Joseph. He ran the entire wealth because he had the wisdom of God. He had this national place of magnificent. The whole world went into famine and the only nation that had food and wealth was Egypt. And guess who was over? A man who came out of the system of God, the way of thinking that God had put in for four generations. Ah, so the whole Joseph story was all about, you know, these guys who learned the system. From God, you know, taken over and saving the whole world by the system of God. Yet no text says any of this. And so there came a new Pharaoh who knew not Joseph and he got jealous of those people and he stripped them of their wealth and enslaved them. And by the time Moses comes on the scene, 430 years of nothing but slavery Nothing but bread and water. Nothing but what the government Pharaoh would give them has set in for 430 years, generation after generation. The whole mindset has changed. We're not leaders. We're not dreamers. We're not wise. We're not wealthy. We're not godly. We're not powerful. We are slaves. And they have reached a point when Moses shows up to where they don't even know who they are anymore. And they're operating in a system that was a slave mentality that we're nothing. Oh, so you know, God had to send Moses in order to save them from the slave mentality because they'd bought into a false system rather than God's system for wisdom and wealth. Get by people who will never do nothing and that is being passed down to their children now. And I guess what I want you to understand is that the system that they were in enslaved the whole generation. And then Moses is born. And when he's born, his mother sees something in him. She says, this is a goodly child, meaning there's more to it than he's just a cute baby. There's something special about this child. There's something powerful about this child. This child is going to mess the system up. This child is going to break the cycle that we've been in as a people. And so she hid him. 
The Bible said she hid him from Pharaoh who was killing all the male children. She hid him. But a man's gift, even if you hide him, a man's gift will make room for him. Yeah, even if you hide him, a man's gift, it's actually the gift there, Matan. It's talking about like something akin to a birthday present or a Christmas present or something like that. She put him in the basket and put him in the river. Now watch this. This is, this is so important. They're operating in a system, but God says, I can't use that boy like I want to use him if he's in the old way of thinking. Oh yeah, you can't use him if he's in the old way of thinking. Yeah, he's got to learn the new he's got to learn the old Abrahamic system. I know his mother loves him, but she doesn't know what she doesn't know. And if I let him be raised in this Notice no text says any of these things that apparently God said. Hebrew village where they know nothing but slave talk and defeat and poverty and 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 we're nothing and we'll never be nothing and can't do nothing and if that's what he comes up in he will never be what I intended him to be so God says no text ever says put him in the basket girl and send him down the river and just down the river a few maybe a half a mile there's a whole new system that I've got to put him in Wow, I mean, he's literally added, you know, words, in, you know, from God. Put them, you know, added them to the book of Exodus. I mean, this is, whoa. And you you now understand what he thinks the main plot line of Scripture is. It's about learning God's system so that you can experience divine wisdom and wealth. Uh-huh. They think different. And not only did he go into Pharaoh's house, you know the story, the daughter. So God taught Moses his system while he was in the house of Pharaoh, really? Pharaoh's bathing, she sees the baby in the bulrush, and she takes him in, and, and he starts getting getting raised in the palace and suddenly he's exposed to national things and wealth of Egypt and big thinking. He'd have never got it over there. He'd have never... Uh, yeah. He was finally exposed to big thinking. Uh-huh. Why are the Egyptians never praised by God for having big thinking? That's why church is so powerful. You might have been raised in a, in a home that never saw a marriage work, that never saw a family that wasn't dysfunctional, never got, broke out of poverty, never graduated from high school or college, never had anybody in your family. But when you get in the river, which is the Spirit of God, he'll... <laughs> So the uh, the Nile is actually uh, a metaphor for the Spirit of God. And you got to get into the Spirit of God the way Moses did so that you can become a big thinker. Uh-huh. Take you to another system, and it'll show you things you never dreamed your family could do, you could do. You come out of that defeatism. You come out of that victimiz victims, and I'm this, and all I need is just give me, give me to. You become a person who actually begins to 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 manage instead of just give me. I want to manage. I want to. I want to rule. I want to reign with Christ, and it's a difference. And that's why coming to church is so important. Because if you get in a good church like this, you won't stay where you are your whole thinking's going to get messed up you get in the river and god says that's not what you were born for you were born for greater things come on and give god a praise and I'll... Mm -hmm. so that's what he thinks the plot line of scripture is 
And um, I would say he, he shares that misunderstanding, um, blinded perception about what Scripture is about. He shares it with T.D. Jakes and Joel Osteen and a whole lot of other people in the uh, visible churches in America. And the one thing is certain, every single one of these guys, including Jensen Franklin, utterly clueless about what Scripture really is about. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to head to Los Angeles, and we're going to learn about the supercharged life from two Ray Roberts. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. More proof that there is a lot. There are a lot of pastors out there. Megachurch leaders, vision casting types, televangelists. They do not know what the overarching story of the Bible is. They've lost the plot line. Next sermon, case in point. But let's uh, 
cue up our music and do this right. Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via One Church LA. Toure Roberts presiding. The name of the sermon is titled "The Supercharged Life." Yeah, you can find all of, you can find out about the supercharged life by reading the other Sermon on the Mount text um, from the um, Book of Opinions, Third Opinions, Chapter Toure. I think you kind of get the point. But, uh, yeah, what you're going to hear, you're going to hear a lot of biblical words, some slogans, some phrases, sentences from the Bible, all ripped out of context to create the impression this, oh, man, you know what God's about, man? God's about you really being uber successful, yeah? You languishing in obscurity and mediocrity, suffering in, you know, below the uh, the middle class income structure oh don't worry Toure is going to help you out so that you can tap into all the God principles you need so that you can have a supercharged life I think you kind of get the idea so let me go ahead and back off on the music without any further ado here's Toure Roberts and the supercharged life here we go yo 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 if you determine to be better as a result of what takes place here today just make some let me just hear you 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 Yo, yo, yo. Yeah, if you're determined to, yeah, whatever. Um, by the way, I doubt I'm going to make it through this whole thing. I'm just saying, I, you know, I've done my previewing work and um, my blood was boiling and I'm convinced I might spontaneously combust if I attempted to review this entire thing. So just keep in mind, we may not make it through the whole thing here. came to be stronger. You came to be wiser. I want to talk to you today from this theme, the supercharged life, the supercharged life. And I want to draw your your attention to Zechariah, the fourth chapter. We're going to read verses one through ten. And we're going to talk about this, this idea, this notion of the supercharged life. And I want to to tell you kind of where I, I got this and kind of how I came to what I want to give today, what I want to impart today, uh, you know, because he's going to be imparting things. By the way, um, you know, a really nice place to go to kind of get the overarching storyline of Scripture. Funny place, but that thing called the Nicene Creed. I mean, it does actually give us something of the uh, of the overarching storyline of Scripture. Here it is, Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven. Notice that, who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven. He was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate suffered and was buried the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the father and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom will have no end i believe in the holy spirit the lord and giver of life who proceeds from the father and the son who with the father and the son together is worshiped and glorified who spoke by the prophets i believe in one holy 
Christian and Apostolic Church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. Look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Nothing in there about the supercharged life. Um, yeah, so um, I think Toure has like had no concept of what the overarching storyline of the Bible is. We are people who are created in the image of God. That means that we are really, really powerful. Uh, created in the image of God originally, but now we're fallen. Yeah, you are aware that we're born under the dominion of darkness. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3 makes it clear um, what we are like now as a result of the fall. Not that uh, we, you know we're really, really powerful. In fact, quite the opposite. Let me read to you what Ephesians chapter 2 says. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3. And you, you uh, Christians in Ephesus, before you were Christians, this is the what's being referred to here, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So Ture here talking about, oh, we were made in the image of God, that means we're powerful. Um, yeah, you are aware that the image of God was blown out by sin and now we're dead in trespasses and sins by nature, nate by nature, objects of God's wrath. Doesn't sound powerful to me. Sounds sinful. Is without God. Now, now follow me. Because we were created in the image of God, we have ability and capability and power, creative ability that makes us really, really powerful even without God. Says no passage anywhere. And it puts us in a very tricky situation at times because there's a lot that we can do with the appearance of us being able to do it without God's help. Uh, what? Come on, religious people. Don't, don't stone me just yet. I'm going somewhere. There, there's some things that, that we can do in our own strength, Right? Hello. Right, I can brush my teeth, go to the gym, uh, make a ham sandwich, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, there's a few things I can do. And we just get up and do it. We don't pray about it. We don't seek anything. We, we just do it, especially when we're gifted and talented. Do I have any gifted and talented people in here right now? When you're gifted and talented, it just works. Boom, you know what I mean? You just wake up and it works, right? Like if you can sing, you just get up and you boom, I can't. It would be like a cursing to you, not a blessing. You follow what I'm saying? But some people, if you can sing, you just you just get up, boom, and you sing, and it's all good. If you can dance, you just, some music come on and boom, and you're into something, and people are trying to figure out how you did that. If you write, whatever it is that you do, you do it naturally, and you're amazing at it. And the truth of the matter is, even if you didn't invite God into the process of it, you would still be pretty good at it. Hello, somebody. And the challenge with that is, the challenge with that is, there are some things in life that no matter how strong you are, no matter how talented you are, no matter how good you are, it still won't get you to where you need to go. You follow what I'm saying? And so sometimes we can get uh, comfortable and we can rest in our own ability until we run across a situation that necessitates something greater than that which starts with us. 
You, you follow what I'm saying? And so, uh, no, I'm really not because none of this is actually taught in the scripture. It's like you're just making this up out of your head. I, I've been. This is like theology that makes sense to two Ray Roberts, and he's trying to help everybody understand his revelation. But this isn't the revelation that's found in scripture. You know, we've been talking about a lot of things. We've been talking about a lot of practical things. We've been, you know, we've been, we've been on it for a few weeks and they're great and they're powerful things. But, but I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that there's some things that only the hand of God can bring to pass. And so we're going to look at, we, we just need God for a few things. Yeah, not much, but just a few. Okay. Now I want to give you. The, the context of what we're getting ready to read, this book, this whole book, the book of Zechariah is written, brought, written by the prophet Zechariah. And he is detailing and describing several encounters that he had with an angel who was bringing him into continuous and perpetual revelation. So this angel is walking him through things, talking to him, teaching him about life, teaching him about things that pertain to the kingdom, etc. And so this is where we find ourselves in the text. The angel, again, is educating this man of God, bringing him into an awakening so he can walk out the purpose and the destiny that was assigned to his life. We together? Uh, really? Really? So that he can walk out his purpose and destiny? That's the reason why Zechariah was given these revelations? Yeah, I don't think so. Do you know any um, good commentaries that say that's the purpose of why Zechariah wrote his prophecy? It's a backdrop. Now, I'm going to teach a lot today, so you got to stay with me, right? This is a teaching day because we're going to be built up and it's going to be good and you're going to feel good and you're going to get it and light bulbs are going to go off and all of a sudden stuff that didn't work, all of a sudden it's going to start working in your life because you got a line, you got shifted and it's going to be... Oh, yeah, you're going to get shifted and, and you know stuff that's just not you know working in your life, stuff that's busted will all of a sudden just become fixed, you know? The light bulbs will go on and, you know, and the machines will all work, you know, just swimmingly and your life will be just like a production machine of wealth and health and prosperity and stuff like that right beautiful so stay with me invest in yourself stay with me it says now the angel who talked with me Zechariah speaking now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep now, it's interesting. It says that the angel came back and the angel wakened me. And then it says, as a man wakened out of his sleep, he didn't say he was asleep. He was like he was asleep, but he wasn't asleep. He was awake, but not awake. So the angel is teaching him and he's getting ready to take him to another level of insight and understanding and as he engages him to give him that revelation, he has to wake him out of sleep because what I've learned is that to be awake on one level is sleep for the next level. What? This is nonsense. I'm trying to get about two or three people to catch what I'm saying. To be awake on one level is like sleep for the next level. Oh, yeah. That's profound right there, yeah. Angel has been teaching him and he's been enlightening him, enlightening him and he's been showing him things and all that kind of stuff and everything is going well. But when he's getting ready to take him to another level and we're going to see he's getting ready to align him for his destiny. It was almost like he was asleep. Yeah. See, when you're going to be aligned for your destiny thingy, it, you know, it's going to be like sleep. Right. Yeah. Uh huh. Tell your neighbor, stay awake. Stay, stay, stay awake. 
Stay awake. Stay awake. Now the angel would talk with me. The angel would talk with me. Came back, awakened me. As a man, I like to just keep it going, I'm sorry. As a man who was waking out of his sleep. As a man, wasn't, he wasn't asleep, but he was like he was asleep. And he said to me, watch this. <clears throat> he says to me, what do you see? So the angel comes to him and wakes him out of the state of consciousness that he was in. Uh-huh. Which is like sleep, but not sleep, right? <laughs> he's acting like, oh, he's about ready to drop, like, the, you know, the bomb of, like, you know, that'll blow your mind, you know. Everyone's going, oh, we could taste something yummy coming, coming here. It, it, it's, this is, um, yeah, scubalon. Yeah, this is nonsense. You see, I'm so tempted. I just, if you know me, I'm tempted. I, I'm tempted. Sometimes a, an old revelation will keep us in an outdated consciousness. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, that's not what Zechariah chapter 4 is talking about at all. It, it, it. Sometimes God will have spoken something to us, and it was powerful and fresh when he spoke it. But if we never get past that level of revelation and knowledge through seeking, desiring to continue to go from glory to glory, not being satisfied by virtue of revelation and knowledge, because there's still so much more to learn. Uh I'm not satisfied with yesterday's anointing. Right. Yeah. You you know, those anointings, you know, they they don't have a really long shelf life. No. Yeah, you might. In fact, you might want to check like the expiration date on your anointing. I mean, if you got that anointing and that revelation, you know, maybe month, month and a half ago. Ooh, yeah, yeah. That's that's a pretty stale anointing. Yeah, you, you need some fresh anointing, fresh revelation, and that's weird because Zechariah four doesn't say anything about that. Let's take a look at the text, see if we can figure out what's going on. Zechariah four one. The angel who talked with me came again woke me like a man who was wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, well, I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold with a bowl on top of it, seven lamps on it, seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? And he said to me, 
Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So yeah, this is a pretty complex section of Scripture. And many of the meanings here are shrouded in imagery, you know, the, you know symbolic imagery. And uh, it's going to be difficult to unpack what this is by any good exegete. And I'm not even going to attempt it at this point as far as unpacking all of the symbols here. But Ture here has gone to a, a very, very difficult text, not so that he can unpack what the symbols all mean, no, so that he can engage in nonsense. That's what he's doing, making it look like he's so prophetically profound when he's anything but. We continue. I'm not satisfied with yesterday's revelation because yesterday's revelation was for... Yeah, that's funny. Zechariah 4 doesn't say anything about that. I need more. I'm grateful, but Paul put it this way. I forget those things that are... (laughs) Yeah, again... (laughs) Paul's saying forgetting what is behind and pressing on towards what is ahead. Paul wasn't talking about forgetting old, stale revelations and anointings and looking forward to new, fresh anointings. Wow. And I reach forward to those things that are ahead. So he wakes him up. And then he says to him, what do you see? See, my my revelation determines what I see. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Boy, this is bad. (laughs) I mean, really bad. My, My consciousness determines what I see. That's why you can have many people in one room and they be seeing different things based on the level that they're on. <laughs> this is just nonsense. So the first thing he asks him when he wakes him up is he says, what do you see? Because revelation is about seeing how I perceive. And Zechariah replies, so the angel says, what do you see? Zechariah says, so I said, I am looking. I thought this was kind of interesting. He says, what do you see? He doesn't tell him what he sees right away. He starts off by saying, I'm looking. Did you plant? Did you pay those people to say, oh, that's good right there? There's nothing good about what you're saying, too, Ray. I mean, this is just nonsense. There's nothing profound about it or even exegetically true. I'm searching. I believe that, that and I just want to pull out a few things. We'll get to some things when we've begun. But I believe that God wants to get us to a place where we stay quickened. So, so that when he asks us what he see, we can say, oh, yeah, I see this. This is happening in the spirit and this is going on. We were able to explain the universe that we're living in because we're awake. But when we're not awake. What? Where am I called to explain the universe we're living in aside, apart from the written word of God? When, when we've been lulled to sleep by life and by things and sometimes even by success, we have to remind ourselves to look. Yeah, are, are you so reminding yourself to look? I mean, I forgot to remind myself to look. I mean, so embarrassing when that happens, too. Ugh. Of answering the question, he now 
has to look. Wait, hold on. Oh, wait, God. Oh, I forgot. I forgot. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I'm supposed to be seeing. I'm supposed to be spiritual. I'm supposed to already know. I'm supposed to be connected so that when you ask me what I see, I can give you a response. Or when you ask me what I see, I can start moving instead of looking again. See, when we don't stay sharp spiritually, we're trying to see when we're supposed to be moving. Right in there, right in there. Sometimes family, I'm going to be honest with us, be honest with you and with myself. Yeah, no, you haven't been honest yet. You've been making up flat out lies about the scripture. You have no clue what this text is about. You're just making stuff up. Sometimes we're not spiritual enough. Sometimes because we do life in the natural so much, we make deals in the natural. We make money in the natural. We make love in the natural. Everything we do, we do in the natural. Sometimes we forget to be spiritual. Oh, yeah. Have you forgotten to be spiritual? It's really embarrassing when you do that. Realizing that it was the spiritual that created the natural that we're living in. Which has nothing to do with the book of Zechariah. Oh, I feel God on this. No, that ain't God. I. It's more, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's dung. That ain't God. Sometimes we're not spiritual enough. And then sometimes we're too spiritual. You've met that person too. The Lord told me to wear black shoes today. And to put on some of you, that's you. That's why you're not saying that. You know, black shoes today and wear black. The Lord didn't tell you that. Most of the time. And the Lord ain't telling you any of the stuff you're telling these people. But then I had a dream and all this. That's great. Did it make sense? I don't care about your dream. It made sense. But then on the other side, I'm sorry. I just said. Struck a nerve somewhere, but, but then on the other side of the fence, on the other side of the fence, oftentimes believers aren't spiritual enough. And we relied on the spiritual to get to the place to where we became busy in the practical. Let me back up. We relied upon the spiritual. We were praying. Come on, we were seeking God. We had our book clubs. Come on, somebody. We're going to get this thing. And then when we got to the place to where we now became busy in the natural because of what the spiritual procured for us. We're no longer spiritual. So anyway. So he asked him, he says, what do you see? Zechariah says, hold up, I'm looking. And then he goes on to describe this vision that God gave him. And so he says, you know, I'm looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold. Stay with me here. You guys stay with me this teaching. A lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. A lampstand with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Okay, let me stop right there real quick. So I actually drew this out at home. I, I wasn't even planning on looking at this part of the passage. There's a verse six is what I really wanted to teach from based on the, the idea that I was thinking. But I couldn't get past what these first few verses were saying. So I actually drew this. I wanted to understand. I'm like, OK, it was a golden, you know, golden lampstand 
and it had seven lamps and it was a bowl on top. And so I drew it out and I was going to show you, but I was embarrassed. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a real good drawer. I don't want you to laugh at me and stuff like that. So I'd just rather be cool, you know. But I looked at this and this was interesting because, because we're going to keep reading in just a second. But there is a connection between what is happening here, what he's seeing physically, so to speak, the vision that he sees and the revelation that God gives him. So I'm going to come back to that uh, in just a second and we'll get down to the revelation. Let's go to the next verse real quick. So and then so here it's got it's, it's this lampstand. It's got seven lamps on it, like a manure. Anybody ever seen a manure? The Jewish brothers and sisters, manure, right? It's, that's what it is. It literally. So it's a lampstand. It's a golden lampstand, and it's got seven lamps or seven candles, and it's got a a bowl on top of it, and and then there are pipes that go from each of the seven lamps up to the bowl. So there, these pipes are feeding each one of those stands. We together. Okay, and there's so if you look at it from top to bottom, there's a bowl at the top. Then, the, well, no, bottom to top. This is the bottom to top. So there's a lamp stand. It comes out like this, branches out like this. It's got seven lamps on it. Each of those seven lamps have a pipe that's going up to the bowl, right? So whatever's in the bowl is feeding each of those through the pipes, feeding each of those lamp stands, right? And then it says, and there are two olive trees, one on the left of the bowl and, uh, and one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. So, so these olive trees are feeding the bowl. Now, olive trees have olives on them, right? Got an olive tree in front of my house. I, yeah, that's generally how that works. Oh, this is Jesus for sure. Right? Olive tree, glory to God, Shabbat. You know, hey. Shabbat? You stole that from, he- really? From Heidi Baker. Wow. Now, what do olives produce? Olive oil. What is olive oil symbolic of? The anointing or the spirit, right? You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, Monty Python's The Holy Grail and the logic behind witch hunts. Yeah, let me play that for you. We have found the witch. May we burn her? Burn Whether she is made of wood. 
built a bridge out of her. Ah, but can you not also make bridges out of stone? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, does a wood sink in water? No, no. no it floats. It floats. Throw her into the pond. <laughs> what also floats in water? Bread. Apples. Uh, very small rocks. Cider. A great gravy. Cherries. Mud. A churches. Churches. Lead. Lead. A duck. Exactly. So, logically, if she weighs the same as a duck, she's made of wood. And therefore... A witch! A witch! Yeah, I think you get the point. Same kind of dubious logic and witch hunts is, well, the same kind of dubious logic we're hearing from this so-called exegesis of Zechariah 4. Okay. So, so now, so now if we look at it from top to bottom, again, we'll go bottom to top. Okay. So here is the lamp stand, seven lamps. Each, each individual lamp has a pipe that's connected to a bowl. The bowl is being fed by the olive tree or it's been fed, fed fed oil into the bowl and so if we go from top to bottom because everything flows from the head down if we go from top to bottom there is a bowl of oil at the top that's being fed by a tree the powerful thing about a tree is that trees are alive which means that they continue to produce you shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth this fruit and this right and they're made of wood you know which whose leaf will not wither you know if they're the same if they weigh the same as a duck then it's a witch tree you know whatsoever we, it does shall prosper etc etc so here we see this bowl these trees are feeding oil to these bowls and the oil is coming through the pipes lighting the lamp stand this was the vision we together okay and so I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me saying what are these my lord in other words I see this vision what does this vision mean and then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, you don't know what these are? You don't understand what this is? And I said, no, my Lord. And so he answered. The angel answered Zechariah and said to him, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Let me stop right there real quick. Zerubbabel is someone who Zechariah is ordained to prophesy to. Okay. Zerubbabel had the charge of rebuilding the temple once the temple had been destroyed, right? It was a daunting task, and it was interesting because Zerubbabel was not a priest. So he wasn't one who had necessarily, in a religious way, been set apart to do this. How are you going to have a non-priest? I feel God on this. How are you going to have a non-priest, a non-ordained, an unorthodox person build the temple? Of How can you feel God on it? It... God wouldn't have anything to do with anybody who's twisting his word like this. How is that going to happen? How should, Surely this person should have been a priest of high order. Surely this person should have been perfect, should have had a perfect record or whatever. But God is using now somebody to build his house that was unqualified, didn't even have the credentials. Trying to help somebody along the way. You counting yourself out, you're thinking too low, you're unqualifying yourself, but I'm telling you, God wants to use some ordinary people to do some extraordinary things in his name. Maybe the fact that you're not qualified makes you the perfect candidate for what God wants to do in this. Oh, I feel the Lord on this. 
Yeah, no, you don't. Uh, I don't know what you're feeling, but it, I'm, I assure you, it isn't the Lord. The f- oh, God. Yeah, that's theatrics designed to manipulate. Where are my unqualified people? Where, where are my broken people? Where are my counted out people? I feel it so strongly. Oh, I, I'm sure you do. Yeah. I don't know what you're feeling, but it ain't the Holy Spirit. It ain't God. I'm trying to stay in line with this message, but I feel like jumping ahead of myself. I feel it so strongly. God is good. Yeah, you, you go ahead and jump right ahead. Yeah. To turn some mornings into dancing. He's getting ready to turn some disappointments into destiny. I see it. I see it. He's, he's going to turn some dis- disappointments into destiny. Wow. Uh, the prophet Toure Roberts has spoken. Clearly, he's going to turn some stuff around and begin to change things. And you're going to look up and you're going to say, it was only, it was only, it was only, it was only by the grace of God. There's no other explanation. There's no other reason. I am so unqualified. I'm not the most talented. I'm not the prettiest. Hello, somebody. I'm not the strongest. I, I don't have the right zip. Yeah. Clearly, he has no clue what the overarching storyline of the Bible is, does he? No clue whatsoever. I don't have the right last name. And they're going to ask you how you did it. How did it? How, how you did what? For you. And you're going to know on the inside of you, it wasn't because you were so wonderful. It wasn't because you were so perfect. It wasn't because you made all the right moves. God just put his hand on you. He chose you. He said, this is your destiny. I'm God. Oh, yeah, because God's all about giving you density, right? Yeah. And I'm good, and I'll be good to whoever I want to be good to. I'll be merciful to whoever I want to be merciful to. I am God. I do what I want. I am God, I do what I want. I am God, and I do what I want. I feel it so strongly. I saw your future. Oh, yeah, no, you didn't, really. Yeah, didn't see anything like that at all. I saw your future. I saw it. I saw it. You're going to be dancing and stuff. You ain't going to care about nothing. I saw it. I saw it. Completely unqualified. Completely yeah, Two Ray Roberts is completely unqualified to actually be teaching anybody anything in uh, Christ's church because he does not know how to rightly handle and divide and teach God's word at all. Completely unqualified, undeserving. I see it. Just a mess. Just a mess. Just a mess. But God's going to do something with it because he knows the person that's a mess will give him the glory. They will love God for Woo! Come on, somebody. Messy people love Jesus. Mm-hmm. Messy people love Jesus. Sounds uh, close to, but it's not, uh, something that has to do with the forgiveness of sins. But that's really not what he's preaching there, is he? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! God will just do what he wants because he, you know, messy people will give him all the glory. And he, he's looking for people to give density to, right? Hallelujah! You don't love Jesus when you're a goody tutu. You love Jesus when you've been through some stuff. When you know it's only by the grace of God that you are where you are. That's when you... Yeah, now th- this is... Uh, Flat out, emotional manipulation. Just 
whipping people up into a frenzy here and not even warranted at all in the text he's exegeting here. He was talking about Zerubbabel. Jesus! You know I'm telling the truth! Yeah, no, actually, you're twisting it. You know I'm telling the truth! And he'll use you! Just as if you were perfect! Ooh, I see a tide coming. I see a change coming. Yeah, no, you don't see nothing. I see the last all of a sudden showing up first. Hallelujah. I see it. I see it. I see it. I can't help myself. I see it. Oh, glory to God. I see the overlooked, overworked. Yeah, by saying that he sees it. I mean, that's his way of basically saying, listen, I'm on the inside track with God. You... People just, you, you're just not nearly as spiritual as I am. And so, I mean, if you were as spiritual as I am, you'd be seeing these things too. But since you're not and I am, you know, well, you got to listen to me because, you know, I'm a prophet, you know. So, right, yeah, huh? Tax, heartbroken, been through hell and back. Went through hell and decided not to stay. Just because I go through hell don't mean I have to stay there. I'm coming out. Coming out, and-, and if you don't repent, you ain't be coming out of it. Uh, you'll be there for a long time, like eternity. Will be for my glory. It will be for my good. I see it. I see a shift. You're in the right place at the right time. I'm telling you, you're in the right place at the right time. A shift. Shift! Shift! Doesn't even make sense! A sh- yeah, you go ahead and just keep screaming shift. It don't mean nothing, though. What you're saying is nonsense. None of it's in the scriptures. Even the election is a sign of things shifting. Power is shifting. It's shifting. It's shifting. I see it. Trying to exhaust this because I got to move on, but I feel the Holy Ghost. No, really, you don't. There's no reason to believe the Holy Spirit's doing anything there. People are not being convicted of their sins. They're not being pointed to Christ and his shed blood for them for the forgiveness of their sins. They're not being called to repent and to believe and trust in Jesus. There ain't nothing here that's from the Holy Spirit. This is just two Ray Roberts uh, whipping people up into a frenzy and then blaming it on God, of course, because... You know, he is spiritual, you know, and you go, you all aren't. If only you were as spiritual as him, you'd you'd be, you know, feeling it too. But since you're not, that's why you're not. Uh-huh. It's shifting. I see people's lives completely changing. Completely changing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You got to understand, God is a turnaround specialist. He's a turnaround specialist. God's a turnaround specialist. How are you getting that from Zechariah 4 again? It's what he does. Shift. Change.
But I'm going to tell you, it's not going to happen in your own strength. So there's the vision. And then the angel begins to interpret the vision. I saw this wonderful vision of this lampstand with the lamps, pipes from the lamps going to the bowl, the bowl being fed by two olive trees, one on the left and one on the right, providing oil perpetually. Providing oil consistently, unlimited, to the full. And that oil trickles down. Yeah, olive trees don't actually make olive oil. They make olives. Mm -hmm. I don't know of any olive trees that self-press their olives to get the oil out of it. From the bowl into the pipes. <laughs> Demonic cackle into the lamps. And when asked what that meant, he said, This is what it means. You tell Zerubbabel, who has an incredible destiny in his life, but he's unqualified. Uh, where does it say that in Zechariah? Not even a priest. And I'm giving him an honor even higher than the priest to build it. And this is what I want you to say to Zerubbabel. I want you to tell Zerubbabel that your assignment, as great as it is, and as grace-filled as it is, is not going to happen by your strength. It's not going to happen by your power. And you're powerful. I'll tell you right now, there's some people in here, and you're super dope in every way. But dopeness can only get you so far. Right, yeah, super dopeness can only get you so far too, you know. I promise you, dopeness will not get you through the door of destiny. <laughs> really, dopeness will not... I, I, Got to tweet that one out, man. Dopeness will not get you through the door of <laughs> destiny. <sighs> Again, what's the problem here? He is just is clueless regarding the actual overarching storyline of Scripture. What he's saying is just utter, complete, total, abject nonsense. That's the problem. I promise you that. God will make you dope, but it's not dopeness that will get you through it. He says it's not going to... God's going to make you dope. By might, it's not going to happen by power, but it's going to happen by my spirit. So, dopeness happens by the spirit, right? So, or destiny happens even if you have super dopeness by the spirit, right? The, the interpretation of that incredible vision was that everything must happen by the spirit. Okay, right. There's some in this room right now 
and you have felt stuck in some areas. Notice now we've immediately jumped to the people in the room there, apparently regarding their dopeness and their destiny and things like that, because that's really what Zechariah is all about is them, you know, and their dopeness. Free in some, stuck in others. And you have exhausted. You have. Yeah, that's a fake manifestation of tongues. Tongues is not speaking gibberish. Exhausted your strength in that area and have grown weary and in some cases quite frustrated. For some of you, this is what it feels like in that area. It feels like you have hit a brick wall and you cannot go any further. And I want to say to you, it's because you are seeing it and perhaps even approaching it in your own strength. Oh, so that's the problem. I mean, this, yeah, oh, man, that destiny thing, it can't happen without, you know, the spirit. You, you got to include the spirit, even if you're super dope. God has ordained certain things. See, in, yeah, again, false manifestation of tongues. In your strength, you might be able to start something. Hello, somebody. But it's going to take God's strength to finish something. You follow? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's going to take God's strength to finish it. Saying? Yeah, you're saying nothing. You can start stuff in your strength. But you need the power of God. Let's keep reading. So he says to him, it's not going to happen by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. And then he answered and said to me, wait, what just happened? I just want to make sure we're in it. What's, what's the previous verse? Okay, not by, thank you. Okay. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. And then he says, I love this, because God's desire was to get Zerubbabel to a place where he could win. What? So he tells him, hey, look, Zerubbabel, I know things are moving or whatever, but I'm going to let you in on something. I want you to win. I'm going to tell you right now, before you get too far and run and hit a brick wall, I'm going to let you know right now, you're going to need me for this one, dog. You, 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 you're going to need me. You're going to need. It's not going to happen by your might. It's not going to happen by your power. I don't care how diligent you are. I don't care how excellent you are. I don't care how much money you got. I don't care. I'm telling you right now, this destiny thing necessitates me, and you're going to need extra. You're going to need a supercharge to make this thing happen. Mm-hmm. And that might be how some of you feel right now. Maybe you're yeah, right. There's the launching point. Yeah, so yeah, so we we're adding words to scripture, and you know you're gonna need me for this one, and and some of you might be feeling like this right now. I mean, even though you may not have the same kind of amazing destiny thingy that Zerubbabel had, but you know you may be feeling this right now. You know, oh man, you you got something started because you're super dope, but you, uh, yeah, you you, you got to have the spirit if you're gonna supercharge it so that you can do your destiny, because you can't, you, yeah, you can't expect. To, to you know land this plane without the spirit you know but you need extra and you know it's interesting with the whole concept of extra extra almost feels like excess or you know you have what you need and you have extra but how many of those sometimes your need is extra you follow what i'm saying i i don't extra is not extra extra is necessity If extra is necessity, then it wouldn't actually be extra, would it? Just saying, by definition. By power, by my spirit, right? And so God 
speaks to the man first to bring him to a place of alignment. But then God does something different. He stops talking to the man and he starts talking to the mountain. What? He, he, you got to follow it. He says, what are you talking about? To me, first, it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. So he's speaking to the man to get the man, Darnell, into a place of alignment. Oh, yeah. You got to get him aligned first. Yeah, you don't, you don't want a, an out of alignment man. Track with me for a second. Oh, I, I've been tracking. You ain't going nowhere. He's, you haven't even left the stall yet. Speaks to us to bring us into alignment so that he can move. Oh, yeah. God can't move until you're in alignment. Yeah. I totally forgot about that principle because it's not in the Bible. Once he speaks to us to bring us into a place of alignment and we submit ourselves to that alignment. Mm, yeah, you got to submit to the alignment thingy. Zerubbabel, you, you're not going to be able to do it by might. You're not going to be able to do it by power. You're only going to be able to do it in the spirit. Yes, sir. Okay, I'm going to get in the spirit. Once he speaks to us and we line up, now God begins to talk to the mountain. What mountain is God talking to in Zechariah? Oh, it's wonderful. You got to see it. He talks to the man. Then he talks to the mountain. And so God now turns his attention to the mountain to the obstacle, to the dilemma, to the issue, to the barrier, to the blockade, to the hater, to that which is standing in your way. Yeah, apparently I'll be labeled as one of those before the night is through. The, the hater, yeah. See, see, all I need to do is get my child in position. And once I speak to my child and get my child into position so that there is nothing holding me back from releasing all of my power and my grace. So as soon as there's nothing holding me back from releasing all of my power, uh, since when does God's power release depend on us? I'm not familiar with a text that somehow our alignment can totally like hamper or get in the way of God's, um, you know, ability to release power. I had no idea we had the ability to stop God that way. Wow. And my ability and my plan in my child's life. Now I don't even have to talk to my child anymore. Now I'm going to start talking to that thing that's standing in the way of my child. So talk to your child so your child gets in alignment, and then you can start talking to the mountain thingy. Right. Who are you? You got to see it. Look at the way God handles our opposition. Feel the Lord. Look at the way. No, you don't. You're making that up. God handles our enemies. Look at the way that God handles those things that try to stand in our way. I feel God. No, you don't. Look at the way. You feel money coming into your pocket from fleecing these people and deceiving them. God deals with 
Those people who think that that your destiny is in their hand. If you don't get past me, if you don't get around me, you ain't going to get it. And I hear God saying, who are Yeah, you get the point. It doesn't get any better from there. And that's about all I can handle. And the reason why that's about all I can handle, he goes on for another 40 minutes of this same kind of weird, logic, bizarre, weaving in and out of the past and the present. And he has no clue whatsoever what the uh, overarching storyline of Scripture is. He thinks it's all about supercharging your density and things like that, and it isn't. Yeah, I, I, we've got a problem here, folks. So many so-called pastors and preachers are utterly clueless about what the real plot line of Scripture is. And as a result of it, they're making up their own plot lines. And their plot line is all about you. You being victorious. You being wise. You being wealthy. You having a destiny. You, 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 you. When the plot line of Scripture is Christ and what he's done to save you. Big difference. Totally different story altogether. Yeah. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at fire Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. 